Democrats. And what we really need to do is not have two Republicans and not have two Democrats. We need to have a Republican and a Democrat. So you get some the B word, some balance in Oregon. That would be super nice. So we're going to talk with him. Um, Level seven drywall is our sponsor tonight. We're going to meet Michael in just a minute. Um, he's a guy who uh, did a lot of work on my house so I could sell it. <laughs> he's, a, he's a friend and he did a lot of work on my house so I can sell it. But before we get to that and before we get to Darren, uh, let's get to Bill London from KPNW with all the day's news. And I haven't listened to this yet, so be surprised. You never know what Bill's going to bring you. Bill? How are you 11, doing? 20 a.m. KPNW and 93.7 FM KPNW Studios. I'm Bill London, but you can just call me Jorge. So how do you feel about the direction the state's going in? Regardless of what you say, about half the population agrees with you. While half of Oregonians say the state's headed in the wrong direction, views on the state's economy have improved somewhat in recent months. Those are a couple of the takeaways from the Oregon Values and Belief Center, which surveyed more than 1,100 residents across the state's regions and demographic groups. 49% say the state's headed on the wrong track, compared to 45% who say it's on the right track. And that's closer to the pessimistic woes of last winter than the highs of this past summer. And Feelings about the state's direction vary on demographic lines, and what's surprising is the demographics. The youngest and oldest groups were more likely to say the state was on the right track, while the middle-aged and those in rural areas were more pessimistic about the state's overall direction, according to the survey. When it comes to COVID-19 and the pandemic, most Oregonians, 56%, believe it's not yet safe, according to the study, to open businesses and fully restart the economy, while 36% of Oregonians say it's urgently important to fully reopen the economy. Concerns about the pandemic center largely around the economy and community health more than individual health. Eight in 10 say they were somewhat or very concerned about the pandemic's impact on the economy. And more than three quarters have the same level of concern about the health of their communities. 53% said they're very worried about their personal financial situation, especially outside Portland's tri-county area. And what are Portland's tri-county area residents most worried about? jumping behind orange traffic barrels to avoid gunfire. The Eugene 4J School Board scheduled to review and take action on agreements with employment unions over the implementation of Governor Kate Brown's COVID vaccine requirements for school employees. The proposed agreement between the district and the Eugene Education Association, which represents the teachers, would allow employees who are not fully vaccinated by October 18th and who do not have a district approved medical or religious exemption to take up to six weeks of paid leave to become fully vaccinated or resign. And if they don't choose either, they'll be fired. So rural counties are fearing that first responders will quit in bulk ahead of a mid-October vaccine mandate, and they need to come up with their own solutions instead of relying on the state, according to state officials. So several rural counties have already declared emergencies based on their conclusion that firefighters, paramedics, teachers, and healthcare workers are going to resign by October 18th instead of getting vaccinated for COVID. Now, in Central Oregon, Jefferson County Emergency Manager David Pond estimates only 50% of county employees subject to vaccination requirements have actually been vaccinated, and he says that half 
of the county's first responders are going to choose to be fired or resign rather than comply with the mandates. After Jefferson County's commissioners declared an emergency in early September, Pond shared it with the State Office of Emergency Management. And he heard back that Jefferson County and others were warning of impending staffing shortages. And the state said, well, you need to prepare yourself. Spokesman Chris Crabb wrote in an email that the office will evaluate requests for help from local governments, but they need to first solve their own problems. And I'm quoting, we expect divisions of local government to maintain their statutory responsibilities, initiate continuity of operations plans that address staffing shortfalls and the prioritization of critical services and leverage resources available through mutual aid and the private sector before they request for assistance from the state. And if cities or counties become overwhelmed, they'll reach out to the agency's Oregon Emergency Response System to request state or federal assistance, she said. So the agency prioritizes requests related to saving lives. Meanwhile, Charles Boyle, a spokesman for the governor's office, said in a statement that Brown's mandate responds to a public health crisis and that outbreaks are already disrupting the workforce. And as part of Oregon's Get Soft on Crime movement, Governor Kate Brown has announced she wants to commute the sentences of juveniles serving time under Oregon's Measure 11 sentencing laws. Now, in a letter to state's correction director, Colette Peters, Brown requested the names of people sentenced to juveniles before legislators passed Senate Bill 1008. Now, that changed prosecution of youth offenders. The legislation was designed to keep juveniles accused of the most serious violent crimes out of adult courts to skirt Measure 11 mandatory sentences. Now, Brown spelled out in the email her criteria for two sets of juvenile offenders, those she'll consider for commutation and others who are eligible to pursue parole. She told Peters she wants the list of names by Friday. 375 people, as best we can tell, are now in the juvenile and adult correction systems that were convicted of, as juveniles. Brown said she will not consider people serving sentences with a projected release date in 2050 or later. And how many inmates does that include? Well, as best as anyone can tell, one. Thurston High School gunman Kip Kingle. He wouldn't be eligible for commutation or parole under the governor's plan. The governor went on to say that young people who end up in the criminal justice system are, quote, capable of tremendous transformation. The governor also pointed out that juveniles convicted of Measure 11 crimes are, in her words, disproportionately people of color. She said she'll consider commutation for those sentenced before January 1st of 2020 who've served 50% of their sentences or who will have served that much by the end of the year. And in the case of parole eligibility, Brown said people must be serving a sentence of at least 15 years imposed before January 1st of last year and who were under 18 at the time of their crime. And finally, for those of you that emailed me and who were commenting on Facebook that they wanted me to clean up the area behind me, you will note I have now done so and replaced all of the delicious coffee and the different types of teas that I had back there with my talking 
Dr. <laughs> Laura action figure. You're welcome. All right. I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. on the wake up call here on KPNW. And now, Rick, it's time for you to get real. <laughs> we did. We got some complaints and people were going, Bill needs to clean up his office and stuff. So I called him, you know, how do you call the new guy and go, um, by the way, um, people say your office is kind of dirty. You kind of need to get with it. So uh, look, it worked. He did clean up his office. Um, we love having him around. And uh, just so you know, Bill, nobody's going to see you on the radio. <laughs> that's, that's a TV thing. Nobody sees you on the radio. That's how kind of how it works. We'll, we'll get him educated. I also want to remind people that the news block every day is sponsored by Chris Dental Family Dentistry, a place that you don't have to have a vaccination or you can have a vaccination. It doesn't matter. Your civil liberties still matter and your health care matters. He doesn't think that whether or not you decide to get a vaccination should get in the way of you getting your dental care taken care of. So they're very big on civil liberties and backing them for you. And they are the sponsor of our first segment. The sponsor of this next segment is this guy, Michael English. Oh, Michael, there you are. How you doing, Michael? Can you? He's up in Blue River or up even higher than that. Um, and his signal is not great. So I'm just going to let Michael talk. So Michael has a company called um, Level 7 Drywall. And when I was having having to get looking around my house going, you know, there's some things I need to fix before I sell this thing. Um, Michael and I somehow got connected. He contacted me and I said, you know, can we uh, can we work something out here? And he came over and not only did he do the drywall, but he also um, took care of a lot of other needs that I had. And so his internet keeps going in and out, but I'm gonna have him really quickly explain why he wanted to have um, Darren Harbick on the show. Michael, go ahead, take it away, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Rick. Yeah, I've known uh, Mr. Harbick for, you know, just a little over a decade. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, just when it comes to a, an individual's integrity, I mean, his can be matched, but it can't be beat. Um, you know, this this gentleman is is actually boots on the ground. Um, if you just look at, you know, some of the contributions he made, you know, what he did during the holiday farm fire, um, you know, he's he's just a really high quality individual. And it's and it's good to have somebody to represent us that is us. So uh, when I heard that Darren was, you know, running, I I. I thought, man, this is huge. I mean, this could be, you know, not only what the people have needed, but the state needed as well. Um, you know, somebody that's faith-based, you know, somebody that's um, willing to address, you know, a lot of issues that, that I have concerns with, uh, you know, federal force management, our borders, et cetera. Um, yeah, just an all-around solid individual. And uh, what a great opportunity to be able to be a part of this and uh, kind of help his campaign out. So we're... Uh, we're definitely excited for him. We definitely want to help get him some more exposure. And uh, yeah, I, th I think he's the guy to get the job done. So we're, we're definitely ecstatic about it. And uh, we're looking forward to, to just kind of helping him out and getting him out there so everybody can be aware that, that we got somebody that's actually one of us. All right, Michael, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us, Mr. Harbit. Great to see you. And uh, best of luck to both of you. All right. Thanks, buddy. I'm going to pull Thanks you again. off. Your internet keeps going weird like that. So I bet that's the first time he's ever called you Mr. Harvick. 
Uh, he likes to call you Mr. Does he like, he calls, I, I, I let him do that. Okay, it's all right. But but you're, to me, you're Darren. You know, it's like this. You guys said he owns Dakotas, um, families owned Harvix up there. I mean, it's the name is really familiar to people. Uh, they have a Dakotas in Sisters, where my wife and I ride our bikes over the hill, have mm -hmm. lunch because they have this really good salad bar when there's no COVID. And then you go back over and then you've got the one at Blue River. So you were going to run for governor and then you kind of switched and said, I think that was really smart because there's a lot of people in the governor's race and you, you looked at this. What made you decide you wanted to do the Senate? Well, when I first when I first since I've been on business for 30 years uh, and I started seeing what was happening on this, not only at state level, I got frustrated and I was like, I've done this for 30 years. And now the state and the governor are telling me I can't run the business that I bought, that I worked my whole life for. Hey, hold on. Train. We do have a train that comes through town. You know, if I know a U.S. Senator, I'm going to get that changed. Actually, I love my train, so I don't worry about it. That's going away anyway. So so go finish your thought there. So, yeah, so I, that was a year and a half ago that I was frustrated. And I'm like, how can I make this? What, 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 what needs to happen? Because I, I can't continue to go on wondering each day, am I going to be able to be open? Are they going to close me? What's the next step they're going to do? Uh, so I said, I'm going to be running for governor. Then I uh, hired a campaign manager, uh, Bruce Starr, phenomenal, one of the best in Oregon. He was a senator in Oregon. Senator in Oregon. He's phenomenal. His dad was a senator. And before I hired him, I called him and I said, hey, I'm looking for someone to help me here. So he just didn't say yes. He drilled me. It was a, it was a, a great interview. And I, it made me really think about why. What am I? Can I really do this? Right. So he run me through the presses and, and he met me. We, we uh, met in Springfield. He came up to the McKinsey. We have a place he stayed at. And he said, well, you know, I value what you're saying. I value what you're running for. Have you thought about U.S. Senate? I'm like, no, I haven't really. You know, look at what's happened in our state. He goes, well, if you really want to make an impact for Argonians, for our nation, consider it. So we did. Me and my wife considered it. We thought about a week, a week and a half. We went to our prayer partners. We're like, hey, this is, this is what's going on. What do you guys think? I felt at peace with it. I was like, okay, this is good. And also looking at the great gubernatorial candidates we have, we have some awesome yeah gubernatorial candidates out there right now um and no one wants to run against uh, he is yes he is if you see something on here you can answer it yeah okay you can just jump in there and answer but yes he is a restaurant owner and other stuff too yeah so that that's why we made the switch we made the pivot from governor to u.s senator um where i think i can some of I'm a lot of passions about federal force management and our borders um the policies that are going on the mandates that came and then fast forward to 10 months ago um and see what's happened since Biden, Wyden have taken office, um, it, it's a great switch. And I'm so happy I did it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the opportunity. Because I've heard you talk before, and I know the forest management is a huge thing for you because you live in the forest yeah. and you were greatly impacted, as was myself. I have a dog in this fight. Um, when last year, when the forest fires came through and swept through your valley and destroyed, you were so lucky. On your one end, you did lose stuff from something, but yeah, you, but you, oh, yeah. you were the business that yeah. Dakota stayed. But it, I mean, it devastated your friends. Oh, it devastated my friends. It devastated my our employees. Uh, my family members lost homes. We lost things. But even before that, the two to three to four years before that, we had several fires: the Twilliger fire, mm -hmm. the uh, fire up the up the uh, Cougar Reservoir. So we've been impacted quite a bit more recently than you know we went like 20 years without a fire in the mckenzie district and all of a sudden and they were going all over the other state but now it's 
seriously in fact impacted us, our business. We like we rely on summer business in our tourism area. Yeah. And without that, we are hurting. So the mismanagements that are happening, um, you know, the wildfires raging out of control, the fuel loads are not going through and thinning like we used to do. We have to get back to doing that. Um, and you know, some of the things that I saw in the newspaper, the ranger station, so people get so like, well, the federal force is not all their fault. It's not all their fault. The environmentalists are really attacking them hard and not letting them cut anything. We have to get back to what we were doing in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. But isn't that a national conversation, too, which is what the Senate would be? That's is, exactly is, correct. Is, you, you can't do much from Oregon as, as an Oregon, even the governor, mm -hmm. because policy is set at the national level for the national force. And how much of Oregon... I think a lot of people don't know, and I don't know the numbers, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but a huge percent of Oregon is owned by the federal government. 60% of timber resources are owned by the government, and they produce 8% of the volume of trees cut. So 60%, they cut 8%. Compare that to the state. The state owns, and state, and I say state, local, own 38% of the forests and cut 84% of timber. That's a huge number. Yeah. Huge number. And, you know, I, I did a, a story for the, some folks in the timber industry and uh, these two women uh, who live up Vida, um, Teresa and Katie, and they are new from California, came up here and started growing. They said, we came up here, we thought, oh, you know, the timber industry is doing this, this, this. And she goes, as we started growing our, they call them baby trees, um, we started learning that, no, this is the best you know, for people who are talking about climate change, mm -hmm. um, what is the best carbon sequesterer on the planet? It's a young tree, yes. not an old tree. It's a young tree. And, yeah. and so all these people crying for help with climate change, which is good. We need to be planting. We need to harvest to be planting more trees. And because just like me, you're much more, you're going to do a lot better in the world right now because I'm old and you're younger. So you're, you're going to, you have more energy than I do, you know, and it works that way in the timber industry too. Yeah. My dad was a log truck driver. So my whole life, I'm like, okay, I want to drive a truck. Well, at 20, when I started my career, they wouldn't hire me as a truck driver. So I went in the Safeway and then I went and find the restaurants. So at 47, I'm like, I want a log truck. So I ended up at 47, went and bought my first log truck, self-loading log truck. And so if you watch my video, You'll see that's that's not a photo op. That's just not me standing next to someone's log truck. I loaded that truck. I worked that truck. Uh, my brother's a timber cruiser. Um, our McKenzie School District used to thrive on timber dollars. That's what kept us afloat. Yeah. And so did other rural communities in Oregon. That just went away. Yeah. And I think people don't understand that you have if you have three stems, you know, th three sources of money, you take one away and then people go, well, how come our schools suck? Well, you you made rules that took the money away. Yeah. So what's another big issue for um, the Salt Lakers? Yes, it is. It, I know it's not a funny word, but it is. It's called the gubernatorial race. Um, I, I love to educate you. That's it's, a, it's not just a funny term. Um, would you be able to try changing the laws towards children predators? And do they feel this even needs to be acknowledged? We have we have to uphold the laws that we currently have. There's a lot of laws that are, that are happening right now that we don't even uphold. Uh, the, as as uh, the newscaster just said, Kate Brown's trying to change the laws that the voters enacted. And it's like I don't that those are the things that frustrate me more than ever is government overreach when the people vote on something or let the people vote on something. Right. Uh, bring the mandates, bring the vaccine passports, bring those to the voters and let's see what they say. I'm sure they don't agree with what's going on because 
everywhere I'm going, uh, I'm seeing a ton of people, new people. And that's what gives me encouraged. I see the new people out there. Um, I was at a Freedom Foundation and, and it was like, hey, if you guys have never been to one of these events, raise your hand. And of course, my hand goes up. <laughs> uh, but half the crowd was new at these things. So the things that are happening, the mandates that are going on are an outcry for people that never have gotten involved in these things. And I'm one of those. What do you think of this um, budget proposal that the Democrats are pushing forward? Oh, man, they that. They, they throw numbers out, 3.5 trillion. Oh, now they're going to take it down to 2.5, 2.8. We're already in a $28 uh, trillion deficit. And if you, those numbers nowadays, it's like, oh, well, what's another, what's another one or two or three trillion? That is killing us. We are not going to be. We have to get a budget. We have to stay within our budget, uh, something that we haven't done uh, for a long time. Do you think as a business owner, that's what, because I, I think what happens with national politics and local politics is people get in there and they're lawyers, which I have no problem with lawyers sure, because need I them. need them. Yeah. But it's like, they're not people who've run a business and you, you know, I can tell you just from being at KZI and getting my check signed by Carolyn Chambers and coming into this and going, holy mm -hmm. crap, Oregon is mm -hmm. so unfriendly to business. Mm -hmm. When you have a business, it's taxing everything. People don't realize. The, I have a friend who's really, really liberal. He's super cool, a counselor, and he went out on his own. And he wrote one day, how come nobody, nobody ever told me about estimated taxes? And I went, welcome to the friendly business of Oregon. How do you change that business climate as a U.S. senator for people in yeah. Oregon? Yeah, it, it, it's been tough. The, the regulations, uh, when we started out 30 years ago when we bought our first store, you know, the regulations weren't, weren't nearly as heavy. And the taxes weren't nearly as heavy. It wasn't a burden. As, as we've kept on going and seeing more and more overreach, stretching it out. I mean, we owned a gas station. I mean, the rules and regulations just to own a gas station are phenomenal. Right. Every, you know, I mean, you, you pay for the pumps, you pay for the underground, you pay for the person to come and make sure you're not leaking. Uh, all those things add up. And so, you know, they say, oh, our gas prices are too high. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't make money at a gas station. Um, and up there, you what, what I think people don't think about either is up there, that is the, I mean, you're providing a, it's a service. Yeah. I mean, if you're, yeah. you don't, you can't just, you know, you need a gas station when you live halfway between sisters and Eugene Springfield. Yeah. Um, what is the candidate's name? This is Darren Harbick, um, Harbick store, uh, Dakota's, um, they're the owners of that. And, and, and well, you might say your wife is very famous too. Yes, she's more famous than I am. She was on the Big Brother 8 season um, back in 2008. Uh, so, but again, we also, uh, not only that, but we own a motel. At one point, we had five corporations going, and we employed 100 people up the McKinsey River. And that's, that's, that's a lot of people yeah. in a small area in a tourism industry. Uh, but currently, right now, we have a state-licensed, faith-based uh mental health recovery center that uh, is getting some backlash from uh, from me running as senator. Uh, we've seen in the last two days just some false accusations reports. And it's like, I know they're going to attack us, right? We right. know that. We've already talked about that. But, you know, coming at us, is it's pretty frustrating to see what's happening already to, early on in this. In this in the, do you want to clear it up, what they're saying? Uh, they've made a couple accusations that... They, they, they're just gathering information, and we know when they start asking information, uh, they said one of us, we, we neglected or something to one of our residents, which is untrue. 
nothing. Oh, this kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, I got that. And when I ran for Secretary of State, it starts coming out where you're going, wait, I, that's not even who I am. These are coming from the, and they're coming from the state offices in the county. And like, that's all right. We have nothing to hide. Right. We have done everything on board. We care. We love people. We are out to help anyone. And so, you know, it's like, I have nothing to hide. Bring it on. Let's ask the questions. We'll answer them. What do you say to the people? Because I got this all the time. Um, yeah, but you've never done this before. I mm -hmm. mean, why don't you start with a smaller race? I'm just giving you this. No, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Start with a smaller race and then and then work your way up and see what else you're going to do. So why? What? What? Because everyone's afraid to run against white. No one wants to be running against the giant. And I'm like, I'm not afraid. I've, I've, I've faced many challenges in my career. I was on the school board. I was on Tribal Land County. I've faced challenges. Business is one of the toughest challenges that you can face. Is How are you going to manage your business? So someone has to take him out. It's another six. If he gets in office, it'll be another six years. Yeah. And I don't think we're going. I don't think we can stand another six years of him in office anymore. As policies, the things he's done. Uh, we can't we can't survive uh, six more years of federal forest failure. Right. Uh, what are we going to have left? We're not going to have any forests left if they continue this. Um, and again, it's about that balance of getting somebody in there. Yeah. That's so all so again, it's I've never backed down from a challenge, and and I understand this is a challenge, and I understand the voters are like, well, yeah, but you know, he listen, I can do it. I can make a difference. I have no problem with hard work. I'm gonna. It's a learning curve. And I'm, I'm willing and I'm stepping up to the challenge of saying, I can do it. I don't have any issues. And it's not me. I have a team around me. We have a great campaign team. Right. I also have uh, a personal relationship with someone who's going to help also. And that's, and that's Jesus. So I, my faith is huge in my life. And, and with him behind me and, and my family and the support I have, um, I'm ready. So from the time of oh, this is the last thing I'll ask you, from the time you announced to now, mm -hmm. What's the biggest thing you've learned about? Oh, I got two questions now. I'm sorry. You can, about politics. Just, I mean, how did you, you uh, knew it was ugly. Did yeah. you, did you know it was this ugly? I, I worked for 30 years. So I was up at five, six in the morning and home at 10 o'clock at night. I raised three great, awesome kids. Yeah, good kids. I was active in sports. I coached McKenzie High School. I coached New Hope Christian Basketball. I have worked. I have stayed out of the political arena. I'm sorry I did because maybe I could have made a difference earlier. Maybe I could have started something. But I'm a political arena. School board was huge. Right. That taught me a lot. Right. Um, I was on the. So, what have I learned? I've learned that I can't believe that they're not listening to we the people right. like we should. And I understand there's there's a group that love what's going on, but I think there's a bigger group that's saying enough is enough. We can't stand for this anymore. Even those statistics tonight that I heard mm -hmm. about Oregonians, you know, and the and the the fear level that the government has put into people, um, you know, when I hear those numbers, I'm going, that's not Oregon. Those are they they've made people very afraid, yeah. and so people and I don't and that and that's not a I'm not calling people bad things. I think it's not bad to be afraid, mm -hmm. but sometimes you have to look fear straight in the face. Are you learning what courage means? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's it is it is a Everything here is a learning curve, but um, I don't I don't worry about that. I have been able to I'm a fast learner, quick learner, and I and I've got the courage to take on the giant. I think what people don't understand about novice like us is you're kind of going in fresh 
And what I like about what you're saying too, is this is what I remember is, you know, you have to be, this guy has to be better than Wyden at doing this campaigning and, and, and knowing the job because he's a sitting Senator. He's been there for 400 years, all that stuff. So you come in fresh and you learn that job, you know, what's and you're listening to the voters because you know, what's important to them then. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of them, I mean, I'm not, wise and being old has experience, but it also, uh, in this situation in political arena where you haven't worked, he, he doesn't, he's not, his boots aren't on the ground in Oregon. No. Um, he's New York's third Senator. That needs to be, that needs to change. I mean, I am here. I have lived here. I'm going to live here my whole entire life. Even when I am sitting, I'll be in Washington DC for those week, two weeks at a time, but coming back to Oregon's and feel what Oregon's like when you don't live here, when you don't be, when you come here for your 36 tours, every year to see what's going on in your town halls. That's not being, that's not a pulse on the, on the ground. That's not an organ. And, and that is what I'm going to bring to the table that, um, you know, I, I, I'll listen. Uh, I don't know it all, but I'm willing to learn. Plus Washington DC does not have locally made beer. <laughs> that's a huge, I don't know if that's a good, that's a huge concern for me. So you got to get back to Oregon. To I sell a lot of it. <laughs> Darren, thank you so much for coming on and congratulations. Yeah. So you guys, Darren Harvick, how do they find you? So um, yeah, go to uh, Harvick for Senate.com. And again, uh, the other thing is I need, I, you know, it's like, I, I thought I was going to be able to do this without any financial support. Okay. I can do this, but no, it's that right. I, I need help. H-A-R-B-I-C-K-4, F-O-R. Um, so yeah, we need we need support, we need help. And uh, and so we're just excited about where Oregonians are going. What, what I, th I really think this next cycle um, is gonna be a big, huge, and I wouldn't do this if I didn't believe in myself and believe in what's gonna happen in Oregon. Uh, a new governor, some senators, uh, we're gonna take some house seats this year. Uh, Alex Scarlato is a good candidate for that. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Okay. So you guys, I put it on there, how to get a hold of him. Um, and I'll say this for him. He doesn't want to say it this bluntly, but the only reason I'm not your governor right now is because we didn't get enough money. And the, the, the other candidate is going to have money up the Yuzuga. And you can all, you can pray for him. That's awesome. You can help him and walk, knock, knock on doors. That's that's great. But it really takes dollars. I mean, and people just come to me, I'll do anything. And I say, well, I need money. Okay, well, how can I go knock on doors? I don't need you to knock on the doors. I need money because it has to get in front of the voter and see it. So he really, it, it takes cash to do this. And I know people don't like that and we hate to acknowledge that, but it really, it's really about money and they're going to fight this hard to keep it. And mm -hmm. so he's going to need your dollar. He'll go out and do the work. He can do all the campaigning and learn the issues and, and go represent you. But um, you got the dollar, the, the foundation underneath there has to be money. And that's how it works. That's how politics works. So um, anyway, all right, yeah, well, that's my you. pitch for you. <laughs> thank you, Mike, also for sponsoring this thing. It's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's great to see people, you know, who believe in me are willing to put their money where their mouth is. So yeah, that's awesome too. That's awesome. All right. So you can stick around if you want, or if you need to take off, because I know you're really busy, you can head that door too. We have a, one more announcement tonight. And um, so I'm going to bring him on here. Um, well, well, hello, Mr. Lovell. Hey, Mr. Dancer. How are you this fine evening in Eugene and Springfield? I never called you Mr. Lovell. So <laughs> I heard- well, Because I'm old. You guys are talking about old people. I'm not old. I still look 20 in the mirror. I don't know what your problem is. Oh my God. You know- <laughs> 
<laughs> now we know what denial looks like um, in a person. So Dave Lovell um, is a friend of mine, and he uh, took my pictures for my campaign. Uh, he was a photographer, and uh, but now you're going to do something uh, just as crazy as Mr. Harvick. Yes, we are. You know, you know, Darren, when he said that that there's a wave of change coming, it's like I think people are waking up to the fact that good men, good men and women need to get into the into the battle because we're getting our butt kicked. And if good people don't get in a, of integrity and honor and purpose, we're not going to have a nation as we know it. And so I'm here to tell you, my friend, as you know, I'm running for county commissioner Springfield District 2 in this next election cycle. Hopefully we're going to knock this out of the park in the primary. But uh, we're months ahead, but we're starting the ground and hitting it hard. So what do you bring to the table, David? What's the thing that you really want to do for Springfield? Well, you know, downtown Springfield's changing off a lot. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to round up a team and some investors and some great entrepreneurs and, and Bart from Planktown and all those guys. And downtown Springfield's just kind of a tiny sliver of a reflection of our creative thinking and vision for the county. You know, the county's 85% uh, small business. And I just think that small business is getting their feet stepped on and their faces whacked. And, you know, it, it's time for us to, to bring back to the community what the community brings to us. And that's small business and people that want to have a great life here. So you guys started like with, um, you, you, <laughs> this is a really great idea. He cashed in his 401k, you and Nita both, his wife we is did. really a lot nicer than well, first, first, I convinced her to leverage the equity in my house. Then we cashed in our 401k. So I'm one of those really bad idea guys. If you're a woman who wants security and all that stuff. But here's the thing. The thing is, is like, you know, we believed in something and we were willing to risk for it. And, and currently right now, even with Masaka Properties, the, the entity that's been, you know, a driving force behind redeveloping Springfield, you know, my partners and people, we've invested millions of dollars. To, to breathe new life into Springfield. And that momentum catches on. When someone's willing to take the risk, you know, leadership and people just get on the team. That's what's great about it. And you're picky about who you put into your spots because you have a vision, you and your partners, Bob and, and uh, Nita and Bob's wife. Help Mary, you. Mary Miller, Mary. yeah. You guys have yeah. a vision for that. So you've had people come in to offer you a ton more money to rent space and you've said no because we need a... Uh, this kind of shop or this kind of shop. You're right. you're not in our vision. We want to make sure that we're getting all kinds of business to keep people downtown. And and it really has between you and Bart and all the other investors. Right. And it's worked. I mean, yeah. you have downtown Springfield is not what it used to be. No. No. And you know that in that vein, it's not being exclusive. You know, our kind of people. You know, we we are interested in every aspect of business. You know whatever slide of the fence you want to pick, whatever issue you're on, you know, that one spot we waited over a year for, we had people offering us three times the amount of rent we were asking, but we knew to make the neighborhood walkable and community oriented, we needed a small grocery store. And Aaron from Friendly Street Market came in, knocked it out of the park. And, you know, it best in, in 2019 awarded us the best walkable neighborhood and Register Guard gave us the game changer award. So, you know, because, you know, my wife is really good and opinionated and visionary. And so are my partners. Downtown Springfield is just a, a great place to be right now. Well, so what's the one number, number one thing you want to do for downtown Springfield or just for Springfield as a commissioner if you win? 
Well, if Spring, Springfield's usually been forgotten. You know, I worked at Gerlach's when I was a kid, 15 years old on 5th and Main. Springfield's always the first to suffer and the last to succeed. And Springfield's got so much potential, so many great people in it who don't really care about your politics. They're just community-minded, really well-grounded people that want to get on with life, work hard, and make everyone's life better. I want to lead the charge in that. I want, I want to bring business back. You know, I agree with Harvick about bringing timber dollars back, small business you know, make it easier to go through the permitting process because I've done that myself as an ordinary citizen. I know what that's like, you know, just to be able for us to be the people and community that we want to be without all these, you know, hammer-like government restrictions done in secret. So, um, you know, you're, it's going to be a, a it's going to be a battle. Um, you have, a, you're up against an incumbent, which is always hard. Yep. Um, you're going to also be up against a lot of dollars coming from organizations uh, that fueled his campaign last time and will fuel it again. So you you also need support, funding, people to get the word out, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's funny that the expert people I've surrounded myself with, because, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Let's just, you you know that, right? So I, I, I can, I can, I can attest to you. So, so, you know, having really wise people around me, the thing they keep saying is money, 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 money. You have to raise enough money to reach people. But at the same time, the money isn't isn't the only thing that's going to reach people. I think vision and heart and integrity and and you know a shared a common uh, bond and, and to know that we can take opposing opinions and bring them to the table and find uh, possible solutions from the impossible is what I think will drive people. Sometimes I've, it's funny because I know you and um, and people have come up to me and people have come up and said. You know, well, uh, yeah, David and Nina, they're, you know, they're developers. And I always want to go, <laughs> Deve not a developer? No, they're, they're like, because I, I think of you more like a visionary, like somebody, you guys have a vision for it. And then you just find a way to make that vision come true. And right. I guess our term here is you're developing downtown and businesses and apartments and places for people to live. Right. But you're really like, it's not like, you know, the, the, the big bad developer, you guys just have a vision that's really pay. I mean, it's worked. I mean, here, here's the thing. We're, we're economically on the lowest end of the middle class. I mean, <laughs> we don't have a lot of money. I mean, people think, oh, you have this money. No, we don't. We just find ways and people to gather around in a team, a collaboration of people to make big ideas happen. You know what, what makes big ideas happens is not necessarily a, a deep pocket, but someone that's willing to go through every part of the process and fight hard to get through the stuff that you don't think you're you're at. I mean, half the time we develop an apartment or something and I get to a point where I'm looking around at all the mess and the debris and I'm like, oh my God, we're never gonna get this crap cleaned up. But you, every day you show up to work and every day you press on and you get it done. So do you have a website or what, how do people get a hold of you, David? Yeah, we do. Facebook, uh, Love All Springfield on Facebook. Also, we've got a website, loveallforspringfield.com. Uh, also, too, let me just put this out, too. I, I love being in groups of people. I love to speak, talk. You know, we do a ministry. I mean, I've been up to a microphone a lot. I would love to come speak to groups or neighborhood organizations and just I want to hear the people. I want to know what's going on. Government has used COVID as a cloak of secrecy, and I, that's not going to happen on my watch. So when you're done, fill it in on that. Put the but put your exact email address so they can go right to it in the comment section. OK. Okay. And everybody on here can just go in there like that. Same with you, Darren. Um, all right, David there. Thank you for coming on and doing that. I appreciate it. And uh, so there you go, guys. Um, let's talk about courage.
Um, I was looking up the definition today because somebody wrote on there and said, Rick, you're being very courageous. And I thought, no, I'm just uh, being who I am. And courageous means strength in the face of pain and the ability to do something that frightens you. So if, if you're not doing something that frightens you, you're not being courageous. And the two men you just met here tonight, um, I can tell you from experience, there are moments when you sit in your bed and you say, oh gosh, what am I doing? <laughs> but um, that's what courage is all about. You learn it, you do it, you push it. So what can we all learn from that? Well, you just have two candidates that have stepped out here and uh, you can find ways if you liked what you heard to support them. But let's talk about you personally. Um, how can you find courage in your life? Um, our new hashtags uh, around here at the uh, Get Real with Rick Dancer and Friends are these. It's hashtag no fences, hashtag move. And that doesn't mean just move somewhere else. It means move, get up and do something. And the other hashtag is no fear. The no fences comes from a dream that I had where there was a large fence and a bunch of people inside that fence shoved in the center. Um, hundreds and thousands of people stuck in the middle and a big fence on the outside and the little groups of people outside. And I was way on the edge right next to the fence and a big white horse with blue eyes came up in a long mane and came up and looked at me and then shook its head and ran the other direction. Well, I didn't follow. It came back and looked at me, shook its head, went that direction. At that moment, I reached out to follow him. I touched the fence and the fence was gone. There is no fence. There is no fence. People, organizations, political types are creating a fence that really isn't there. But we're all huddled in the middle, scared to death, holding fear and being trapped and thinking nothing's ever going to change. Well, nothing will ever change if you don't develop the courage to go do something. And that can be walking around the block. That can be supporting people you like on here. Um, it could be all kinds of things. You find the thing for you that makes you come alive and then you come alive. And when they try to stop you and silence you, that's when you use your courage and you say, no, I know I'm doing the right thing. So we can do this. We can do this, but you have to hashtag move move something out of the way that's stopping you. Um, got to thank uh, Level 7 Drywall, Michael English. Um, gosh, thank you so much, dude, for sponsoring our show. Um, I just was lucky. You know, this thing is working out really well. I'm just finding last minute stories. I literally was emailing David like while Darren was talking to you, I'm emailing and getting this stuff off or during the newscast and to get him on here to show you and introduce you to who it is. So we got lots more coming up. What's happening tomorrow? So tomorrow's our Thursday when Kim Stark comes back. Bill will be here with all the news. Kim Stark will be here with our element. Our, no, this isn't the elements with a healthy life. That's on Tuesday. She'll be here to tell you what's coming up this weekend. Uh, she's got a few interviews, some stuff like that coming up. And then I also have Mary Sterrett, who is a, a Yamhill County commissioner. And recently, the Attorney General of Oregon filed suit against Yamhill and Harney counties because they declared themselves constitutional gun state counties, and they're not following the new rules that the governor put into uh, action. So they're resisting, and the, the state is suing them. 
And so tomorrow at a meeting with the Yamil County Commissioners, they're going to make some kind of a decision about what they're going to do. Mary's going to come on. Our show's going to start at 10 of 5 because she needs to get to a meeting. So she'll be at 10 or 5, explain really quickly what it is they're going to do and find out just another person who's very courageous. Then we're going to talk with Kim and find out what's going on on the weekend. And then I have a great story that's going to inspire you for the weekend. I have a couple. His mother called me. Uh, these guys are in, the, he's in his 50s, Joni's not. I don't know how old we'll find out tomorrow. But these two lived up in the Gresham area. They had corporate jobs, got tired of the, the bullshit, and he quit his job. They bought a piece of property up by Crescent Lake. Uh, they're living in an RV. They're completely debt-free. They owe no one anything. They're working at a fishing shop. So they went from corporate America to this fishing shop and they're loving their life. So that's how we're going to go into our weekend is inspiring courage in all of us with the story of this couple. And his mom's the one who wrote me and said, I'm kind of proud of my boy. So we're going to have them on um, here to talk with you at the end and inspire you to go out and to hashtag move, hashtag no fear, hashtag no fences. I'm Rick Dancer. It's been good talking to you. I will be here tomorrow night. Share this on your page so other people can see it. We really appreciate when you do that because it helps us because sometimes the social media giants don't like me and they hold my numbers back. So if you could do that for me, we would really, really appreciate it. All right. Have a good night. I will see you tomorrow at 4.50 for our special show. Good night.